This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host, and I'm joined this week with Cindy Brummer, who wrote the Personas with Emotions and Behaviors are More Valuable. Welcome, Cindy. Hey, thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. Can you please take a moment and introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, so my um, my whole role as a UX designer is as a leader of the agency I run out of Austin, Texas. It's called Standard Beagle. Um, I've been uh, doing that plus teaching and uh, recently got my master's degree. So um, having, having a fun time. Excellent. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory? What uh, did you get started in UX and how did you wind up where you are now? Oh man, it has been a long winding road. Yeah. Uh, when I first started, which, you know, gosh, it's been over a decade now, I, I started off as a web designer, making mm -hmm. a transition from the world of journalism. I was a TV news producer. And uh, in my most recent TV job, which was back in, gosh, 2005, I was, uh, I was a web producer. And mm -hmm. that's when I really got introduced to the whole idea of doing websites. And yep. I had always loved design. In fact, in high school, I did yeah, newspaper design. And I figured out, wow, I could do this. Uh, I could do this, you know, on the web. This is super, super cool. So I cobbled together <laughs> quite an education mm -hmm. through some, you know, local community college classes, through conferences and books and magazines. And then all of a sudden, someone started asking me to do websites. And from there, really, that's when it kind of started to take off. Um, I ended up leaving TV, uh, tried to make a go as an, a freelancer. Didn't really work, uh, but I got a job uh, doing website design and development. Was the only person doing it uh, at the company I was at. And then ended up just still having that entrepreneurial bug. And um, made my own like opportunity. So mm. created an agency, started working with clients, growing that. Uh, we're a, a small boutique agency now, and um, I get the joy of helping other designers. So I do a lot of uh, you know just mentoring and overseeing the stuff that we do, and working with developers as well. So it's yep. been awesome. Um, you had mentioned the uh, you know, cobbled together uh, initial education. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you studied and, and um, to, to help you get to the, this career? Yeah, that's a great question. I I took some basic classes in HTML mm. and CSS, um, thinking that I was going to go down the road of being a developer. I took uh, some graphic design classes, uh, learning how to, you know, master like how to put together headlines around images and things mm -hmm. i i ended up reading uh, quite a bit of the smashing magazine library of their white papers and yeah. ebooks and the um that's really what kind of got me into it i started reading a lot on search engine land which is yep. still around and um and just the the one thing that i really loved though is i ended up going i was reading a list apart uh, which is that blog, and then they had a conference, and I started going, I went to the conferences whenever I could afford it, and they came to Austin, yeah. and that was phenomenal. You know, it was the whole, 
like everything. It was the design, it was the content. Um, I got really into content strategy and information architecture. And um, so it was from listening to experts um, and reading books. So, I mean, I read uh, Steve Krug's um, don't make me think. And um, I went to every talk I could find of Jared Spools, like when he came to South by Southwest and <laughs> I was yep. like seeking out the leaders and that's, that's how I did it. Gotcha. Great. Um, so can you tell us about your chapter? Yeah. So I wrote about developing effective user personas. And part of the reason I decided to talk about user personas is because as an instructor, I, I was, I'm teaching others how to do it. And I, I get a curriculum and I, and I kind of started handing it to them and I didn't really think about it, you know, and you see a pretty picture with some demographics and, you know, some, some stats. And then I started looking at, it, I'm like, these are not useful at all. Mm. They're not helping people make the right decisions about what to do. How is this possibly what can help us develop empathy for the people that we're supposed to be designing solutions for? So what I really wanted to do is kind of in the chapter show, you know, here's what we're doing typically. We're typically creating a snapshot, an avatar, but it's not as useful as we think it is. And what makes it more useful is thinking about the holistic qualities of a user, which is not just their demographics. You know, I don't care how old necessarily someone is unless it's actually really relevant to it because you know, if you think about people who are shoppers in a grocery store, it doesn't matter how old they are. We all have to go to the grocery store, right? But um, so really focusing on the relevant information, the things that are, um, you know, what's important to them? What are their pain points? What emotions are they feeling? And and even like, because we're, we're so varied as people, like even thinking about the fact that our emotions vary depending on our context. And so I, I wanted to kind of set like a, a difference there between like, you know, here's what we typically create and here's what would make it better. Here's how we can level it up and how we can get there. So looking at, you know, looking at the data, like what, what are we asking in our interviews to find out more about the people that we want, you know, to, to help create this persona to help us develop these products? Um, what, what relevant information can we learn from them, which also helps sharpen our user interview skills to make sure that we're asking about their emotions and getting into the root of the issue there. Mm. Um, because ultimately, we do want to understand users' goals. We want to understand their frustrations because that's how we, how we make decisions about what we're creating for them. It's not about whether they're 62 years old and like, you know, drive a Tesla, not necessarily, not all the time. It's about, you know, they, they have a specific need, like, you know, they're, they're angry about some sort of, you know, issue that's going on and, and we need to solve that problem because that's ultimately what we're there to do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to talk, there's so much stuff I had to leave out of the chapter just for, you know, the sake of space sure. and everything. And I wanted to go into what inspired me about it from, uh, you know, Alan Cooper's book about face, where he describes the persona and how you should be thinking about it in terms of goals and frustrations. Because I think a lot of times when, when user ex uh, experience practitioners 
are going in and they're taking boot camp courses, there's a lot of like, like, look, here's a template, follow this, and this will like solve your problem. But really there's a, a deeper understanding and learning that needs to go into it and why we do this as a as an industry, as a practitioner, why we create these and why it's so important to do that. Mm -hmm. um, would you say, it's interesting you say templates, um, because we want to apply, it's easy to, we want to apply templates to things because it's easy for process, right? Um, is there a way to, to uh, I wouldn't say make a template for this process, but to make a, a process that's malleable to do what's right for personas? Oh uh, yeah, that's such a, great question you know the the process for me is like answering the questions you know <laughs> in terms of like adding it to the template i'm still mm. figuring out the best way to make it into a snapshot almost like a a picture for people but making like i've started adding a section to include behaviors okay. uh, and context around them so how how does the user act when they're at home versus they're at work versus they're at the gym versus they're driving on the road yep. you know what are those behaviors and then what are the emotions that they're feeling at that time because you know and i like to think back of like you know, as like, say I'm a, a patient, say I'm, you know, I need to see a doctor, me calling uh, someone up or looking for a doctor when I'm feeling healthy may not be the same emotion that I'm feeling if I'm not feeling good. You know, if I'm like, if there's an emergency situation, say, or if there's some sort of situation where I'm in pain, you know, that, that context is very different and right. the emotions I'm feeling are going to be different. And I feel like as practitioners, we need to think about the fact that people are different depending right. on the day. <laughs> Absolutely. They're a person's state of mind. If they're uh, agitated and have high anxiety, their short-term memory is going to be lower. They're not going to have, they rightfully shouldn't have, you know, don't have patience for things. Completely okay. different. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's those kinds of things that, you know, we tend to kind of put the sunny side hmm. on personas and Absolutely. think about like the happy path. But I feel like it's equally important to think about the negatives, you know, right. just even, even think about the consequence of not having enough sleep and right. how that affects us, you know. Hey, and hey, that's another chapter in the book. Don't always design for the happy path. Right. I, I forget whose that was, but that's another. Hey. Yeah, exactly. So you answered the question I was going to ask, but I want to get a little deeper there of why do why is gathering emotions so important? Um, and we started down that path in terms of like state of mind and um, context. What, what else uh, in terms of emotions is important there for design? You know, I this is something that, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we want we want to paint the the sunny face on like how how people act but you know when people get angry we don't we don't always know how to be prepared for the negative emotions hmm. and when we're when we're not prepared we we don't know how, what to do say if the user's angry with our product or they're it's they're angry with our website or some sort of service mm -hmm. and i think if we can think about all the emotions that humans feel or at least our users are feeling you know we may not necessarily have to design it in at that moment but maybe it can help help us with our strategy of the overall customer experience yep. of thinking about how like if the user, you know, if a user is going to call in, they might be angry. And how do we 
how do we help calm them down without saying calm down, ma'am? Right, right. <laughs> you know, which right. can either, you know, inflame them even more. And I think that that preparation gives us a lot more insight into how to communicate with users and, and even think about, you know, how to be sensitive to their needs. Um, you know, just thinking about, you know, we're at the time we're recording this, it's June, and we're thinking a lot about uh, Pride and uh, Juneteenth is coming up. And just how do we, how are we communicating with all kinds of groups of people? And what are they feeling yeah. at this time that we can be sensitive to mm -hmm. them and maybe change our communication to, you know, the tone might change depending on the context of it. Right. And being prepared for that, I think is really important. And, and how are you learning uh, about this from your participants and users? Is there, uh, when, you're, when you're doing your research, is there a way that you're going about uh, that's a little different than, say, the traditional way of, of gathering personas? Well, you know, for me, I'm, I'm the kind of person that's very curious, and um, I, I like to ask mm -hmm. as much as possible. Um, some people are afraid to go deep with their questioning, and I think maybe I'm not as afraid mostly because of my journalism background, which has taught me to dig deep no right. matter what. Um, but there's a sensitivity that comes to it as well, of, you know, making sure that the, the user that you're interviewing is okay with it so that they feel comfortable and you're, you're developing that rapport. You know, I think a lot of times, at least in my practice, you know, at the very beginning, I didn't want to take a lot of the user's time. I wanted to condense that interview. Everybody's busy, right? Sure. But the thing is, is that when you're interviewing someone, it takes time to develop rapport and yep. get somebody to feel comfortable enough to share those things. And so I think if we can spend more time with the user talking to them and just listening, yep. instead of trying to rush through an interview or rush through a usability session, where we're really listening to them, they're more likely to share these types of things with us. Absolutely. And that that's the big difference, I think. You know, don't rush. Yep. <laughs> Listen. Yep. And and even when it does get into a place where they may be uncomfortable, um, it's still an opportunity to not make assumptions. Um, there, you may be talking about a tender subject with a participant. Um, they may be crying because it's a tender subject, and our assumption would be to end it. But they don't necessarily want to end it. They want to just, no, 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 I just want to, I'd like to talk about this. This is helpful. Um, so we have to challenge our assumptions. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the times that I think we all feel a lot of challenge in just being quiet. Mm. And I think as interviewers, that's, that's actually the, the biggest thing that we can do is acknowledge and let them speak instead of trying to soothe and end it like you say just just listening yep and letting them letting them finish it out and also helping them feel safe that it's okay to share you know you're not you know as an interviewer i'm not going to go broadcasting this out on youtube you know what they're saying and feeling so if they feel like it's a safe thing they're more likely to continue sharing especially if i'm not interrupting them right right <laughs> that's what i always say just sit there and shut up and when listen <laughs> exactly. Um, aside from interviews or workshops or even surveys, are there, are there other research methods that you employ for this? Anything else come to mind? You know, for me, it's um, I, sometimes it's just sitting and watching people. You know, I don't think that, um, you know, 
a lot of companies give us a lot of time to do those mm. ethnographic observations, yep. which are very, particularly in the time of COVID, the pandemic made right. it really hard to observe. Uh, but every time I can, I encourage my students and my, the people that I work with to just watch, go where they are, go right. and, and, and see how they act because you can, you can get a lot of information just from the different places that, if that's a possibility of, of just course. watching people. Nothing better than watching people in their natural environment. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, but you know, it's a tried and true and sometimes I haven't, I haven't personally used diary methods, hmm. although I've seen it done and that might be, you know, over time people will kind of write and they may, they may reveal more they do. at those different times. Of yeah, the they day. definitely do. Diary studies are wonderful for that sort of thing, especially if your experience is more longitudinal, right? It's not just a, a website that you're visiting. You're going to have this relationship with the, uh, the experience. It's, it's great for gathering that data. Yeah, you know, and I can't say for certain that like automated methods don't work, but I knew I, I've had better luck understanding emotions when I'm when I'm talking to someone or Absolutely. when I'm in human presence rather than relying on automated tools to do it for me. There's a place for them for sure, but uh, the emotions don't always come out unless they're in anger or the extreme emotions, right. you know. <laughs> Agreed. No, absolutely. Agreed 100%. Um, there's nothing like at, talking with people to really get at the root cause of of why why a design should be in a certain trajectory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned there are some things that you didn't, you know, get into the book because of the, the uh, length of the chapter. Anything else you wanted to bring up here uh, that is worth mentioning in terms of the, the personas in your chapter? I, I, I wanted to share a ton of resources okay. <laughs> in yep. the chapter in terms of personas. You know, I, again, I'm a huge fan of Alan Cooper and all of his books um, since he introduced uh, personas. Um, and I found that um, one thing that really inspired me was there's a, there's a book by uh, Eric Meyer about context and design. And, and he gives this whole example about, you know, some of the, like some of the messaging on Facebook back in the day being very insensitive hmm. to the context of say a user who might've gone through a, a death in the family oh, right. yep. and not thinking about it. Or he gives this example of being a father whose daughter was being air flighted to a, a hospital and then like being completely panicked and in the car, looking at a mobile site, trying to figure out like the information and, and literally being blinded to it. There's yep. just so much other stuff. And, um, and I think it's important to think about how users perceive what we create in the, you know, like being able to look at it through that lens of if they're blinded by rage or, you know, some sort of strong emotion that things are going to be different. And, Sometimes it's just a matter of creating like a spreadsheet where we just kind of brainstorm all of the things that might be going through our yeah. head. How would we feel if we were in this situation or in this situation? And how how could it come across? How can we make this experience better for all of the particular uh, personas that come to our site? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> now, one of the... One of the um... It's, let's say original ideas of a persona was to draw in your stakeholders. You know, they, it, that's why we made them in pretty, um, you know, well laid out and with visualizations, that sort of thing. Are there, is there, are there 
strategies to continue to do that in your personas for drawing the audience in or visualizations that are good? Yeah, so I lo still love using uh, an, some sort of image, um, you know, that somehow showcases who this person is. Although sometimes I think that it's not necessarily going to be a stock photo that does mm -hmm. it. I like showing some sort of image of the person of, of say a person that kind of is our persona representation and they're doing the thing mm. that we are thinking of them doing you know not just a smiling pretty picture but maybe they're you know at the gym you know working out or you know i think in the book i used the plumber example yeah. and so maybe they're that person that's standing there in the bathroom with the 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 water spraying behind them or something just to kind of remind us like exactly what we're thinking of. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I saw some wonderful designed examples of different personas and, you know, for a grocery store chain here um, uh, in this area that I live in. And it was just so great how they, they drew you in and they told a little bit of a story and then they really focused on their goals, their frustrations, their pain points with an image to represent it. So I think sometimes we get bogged down in the demographics of figuring out all the little pieces of where they live and how old they are and, you know, all the grandchildren, cars, you know, all the things that happen around us when we really need to focus on bullet point examples of like, what are their main frustrations? and what are the things that they're trying to achieve, yep. which can draw people in and remind us, which it, that's exactly what they're supposed to do too, is just remind us what we're trying to achieve yep. as designers. Yep. And there may be reasons that demographics do affect those behaviors and emotions. I mean, it's not to say they aren't cut out. And there may be patterns in those demographics that we find in the long term, but they're just one piece of the puzzle. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Instead of it being the main piece that we focus on, you know, making sure that it's a part of yeah. it, you know, and not relying on assumptions because I think that the, Do your the danger, yeah, doing the research is really important. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can think back to one example that I, I saw in a classroom setting and it was so full of assumptions. And when I asked, where did all this come from? It had, none of it had come from research. Right. It was all from their own personal assumptions. And we can't do that. Right. That we should absolutely not do. Right. You know, it has to be valid research. One question I have to ask, because we're talking about personas, is um, what's your thought on alliterative names? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, per se. Mm. Uh, if, it, um, if it doesn't become cutesy and... Um, take away from the overall mission of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm more against, you know, coming up with random names that may exclude groups of people that should be part of the persona because I, you know, names can, can matter, right? Great like, point. so if we have like a female name, but really it's not, as important to distinguish between the genders or any of the genders, you know, I think if we choose a name, you know, we have to be careful. We have to think about those kinds of things too. Yep. It might be better just to kind of describe the behavior rather hmm. than come up with those names, you know, like yep. uh, the, the entertainer or something right, like right. that, you know? Great. So yeah. um, in the last part of our podcast here, love gathering pieces of information for UXers. 
What's that one piece of advice that you'd like to convey? I stagnated as a designer by not getting mm -hmm. feedback. I, yeah. I should have a long time earlier. And now that I'm, you know, even though I have some experience, I know I don't know everything. And mm -hmm. just from reaching out and talking to other designers, you know, putting myself out there, I feel so much more uh, advanced in my skill. And then also, gosh, this community is just so great about sharing and helping yes. everyone. There's nothing to be afraid of in terms mm -hmm. of saying, hey, I'm new, help. Yep. <laughs> I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd yep. done that. Um, great. Well, any other last thoughts here about uh, the piece of advice or your chapter? No, not on either of those. The The book is so full of great advice, and I'm so honored to, to have a chapter great. among all of those other wonderful pieces of content. It's so great. Well, um, I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the book and, and taking the time to chat with me here. Cindy Brummer wrote the chapter on ensuring emotions are in your personas. And uh, this has been the 97 UX Things podcast, and thanks for tuning in. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.